Welcome to episode 16 of the Broaden Your Perspective podcast. Excuse my voice, I was a little bit sick when I was recording this episode, but nevertheless, we have Kalisa Khan, a fellow University of Waterloo student who is currently in her final year of studies in the Accounting and Financial Management program. Like last episode with Maher, we also met through Front Row Ventures as well. Kalisa has had a variety of co-op experiences and has so much to share. In this episode, we dive into Kalisa's journey coming from Kenya and going through university, sharing some of her thoughts on her co-op experiences, successful habits, her dream career, location, and much more. Without further ado, here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Broaden Your Perspective podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kalisa. So thank you very much for joining me today, Kalisa. Yeah, thanks, Johnny. This is actually my first podcast, so I'm pretty excited. Yeah, very exciting. Um, <laughs> so we we also met through Front Row Ventures, and actually last week, I recorded a podcast with Maher, um, also from FRV. Oh, really? So I yeah, I haven't released that episode yet, but that was a super fun conversation just because we kind of continued the little environmental sustainability I wouldn't call it an argument like a discussion that we had so we talked about that a little yeah. bit we, we talked about so many random things so it was a very it was a very cool podcast episode so next time we should do a three-way if that's yeah possible. yeah yeah and then we'll <laughs> see we'll see what happens after that um okay so we recently had to do a, a fun fact slide for front row ventures um, oh, yeah. actually before we get to that do you want to just in your words just describe what exactly is Front Row Ventures and what is it that we do? Just really quickly. Yeah, of course. So um, Front Row Ventures, and maybe in one sentence, is students backing students. Um, and that's what's exciting about it, I guess. It's And it's can it's becoming Canada-wide, at least. Or it originated in Quebec, and actually we're the first Ontario or the first out, sort of chapter in Ontario, which is pretty exciting to be a part of the start of something new and um Essentially, what Front Row Ventures does is we source deals in in our in our respective university communities, and we look for student founders who are doing some exciting things. And um, you know, it's actually quite impactful um, to bring someone's dreams to fruition, especially at at the student stage where people don't have enough resources. So it's bringing those resources to them. And I think something that's emphasized is the entrepreneurial mindset or the venture capital mindset, because a lot of people don't know really don't know what venture capital is like as a career. And so bringing that to, you know, the university level is important, I think. So it's just in a nutshell what FRV does. Yeah, yeah I think you got that pretty solid. And you also did a co-op term at IGAN, which is another VC firm. And we'll touch on your experience a little bit later. Yeah. But so, yeah, so recently we had to do a fun fact slide where everybody could kind of get to know each other a little bit better. And so I thought it would be fun and a good way to start off the podcast if we were to do it in person. So I'll just kind of reiterate some of the questions and some of the topics that were in the slide. You ready? Yeah, ready. All right, here we go. So number one, what is your dream career? God, that's a tough one. Um, for well, actually, it's not quite tough. I I want to do something in the impact space. So whether it's impact investing or even starting my own social enterprise, I think that would be awesome. So dream career is to be on the investing side, doing doing impact. So as an and on the private side specifically, is investing in impact companies or ventures that are, you know, have a social impact cause. 
Right. And how would you define impact? Yeah, that's such a great area. Um, I I don't know if we should go down this path, to be honest. But um, for me right now, that's what I'm trying to develop is what, what impact means to me. Right now, my rough idea is anything that's working towards the sustainable development goals. But then again, there's no framework that's been built. And that's what's kind of exciting or what excites me about the space is that it's so new and uh, it's growing, especially in Toronto. So Figuring that out is the exciting part of, of, of the career and why I, part of why I want to pursue it because it's such a great area. Um, I'd like to hear your, like, I mean, your definition of impact. My definition of impact, I think I might have to answer that with an even more generic answer, which yeah. is just being able, being able to deliver value to people in any situation. But obviously to create lasting impact, <laughs> you would have to deliver value to a lot of people in order for you to create an impact, I would say. But I don't can know, you argue me, that? Can you argue that every then every company is creating value in some way? Like, wouldn't every company be an impact company then? Yeah, which is why I think impact is so broad because you mm-hmm. can think about you know Apple as a company. Well, they're definitely creating value for a lot of people in the world with their you know innovation, their devices, the products that they offer. Right? They're helping. They're they giving a lot of people a lot of different products that offer them a lot of convenience. So that's delivering value. But I think definitely my definition of impact falls more towards the social space. So things like environmental sustainability or, you know, things like um, I feel like education is also very important. For sure. And I've talked about this a lot on, on the podcast is just how important sports is for youth, particularly just because of, Mm -hmm. um, you know, sports gives kids the opportunity to learn what failure feels like, to understand what com- competition is, to, you yeah. know, understand hard work, focus and stuff like that. So those are kind of the few topics, but I definitely agree with you. Impact is a very, very broad topic and so is delivering yeah. value. And I think we could honestly do a whole episode just trying to define impact. I mean, there's Next no right time. or wrong answer. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll do a part we, We've two. done some research. Maybe we can come back and talk about it because I'm actually doing some research. Like I will be doing, I like to look into it. So maybe next time we can do that. Okay, cool. Now for, for impact, right? Was there any specific, I don't want, I don't think trigger is the right word, but was there, is there any point in your life where all of a sudden you thought, wow, I want to do something in this social impact space or was it always social impact or was it ever something else? Yeah, no, great question. So I think I was first introduced to it back in second year. Um, one of one of my professors, his name was Upkar. He's now the CEO of Rally Assets, which is an impact advisory firm in Toronto. But he's he sort of brought it to my attention. And and I guess just going skipping a second ahead was the fun fact or the odd thing about you. Mine is that I was you know born and raised in Kenya. Um, and that's and then and then when I connected the dots, I'm like you know one day down the road, I'd love to go back and take that skill set or do something meaningful with my career, I think. And um, I think impact investing is at the intersection of the, 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 you know, my career goals, but also my, you know, personal goals. So for me, that's where my passion comes from is that I, I've, you know, witnessed a, a lack of resources, but so much talent in, in Kenya. And so I want to go back and do something. But I think, I need to build that skill set in a more developed environment like Canada first before I go back and do something. So I guess that's what I'm trying to do now. 
Yeah, and I totally agree with you because I the the thing that kind of triggered it for me in terms of delivering value to people and you know doing good was I read this book. It was called The Go Giver, and it was very powerful for me. But in order for you to deliver value to others, you need to take care of yourself first. You need to grow yourself as an individual so that you have something worth delivering to other people. And I think that's super important. So this professor, do you still keep in touch or is he kind of like a mentor of yours or? Yeah, I still keep in touch with him actually. And, and I mean, because I want to get involved in the impact space and in Toronto, there's only a few funds or a few places that are actually involved with impact. So yeah, from time to time, I'll I'll reach out and um, ask if, you know, what, what's going on. I haven't done it in a while, but um, I see him once in a while on campus and ask how it's going. And, and, and it's nice It's nice to know that there are people who are working towards that measurement of impact and that those impact goals. So, yeah. yeah. And this is just kind of a random question that I was thinking about. But mm-hmm. when how, how exactly did you establish this relationship with your professor? Because when I was entering university around two years ago, my thought was, oh my God, these class sizes are going to be 300 kids. The professor's not even going to know my name. I'm not going to be able to build connections, stuff like that. That was kind of the stereotype of the big transition between high school and university. And so Mm -hmm. can you speak a little bit about your university experience in terms of number one, well, class size, and number two, any tips or advice you would give to current university students that want to build a relationship or build a connection with their professors? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, the in first year the class sizes are pretty big, but but I feel like even so you could still build a relationship with your professor if you're if you want to. And I know people are shy away from in-class participation obviously just cuz you know, you're scared to get something wrong, but I think in-class participation is one way to do it. But if if you don't like that, then there's always office hours. For me, um for me, building building a relationship with professors. Well, first you you can't build a good relationship with every single one of your professors, but right. you need to see where where can you add value and where can they add value to your your goals. And there, the office hours is the best time for that. And once you know, like at this stage, reflecting back on first year and where I'm at now, at this point, fourth year is. I'm making good relationships with most of my professors just because I'm taking courses that that I know are aligned with some of my career goals. So I know that these are mentors that are worth having. Perhaps I didn't have that mindset in first year, but I mean, I still do talk to some of the professors I had in first year just because I'd pop by some of their office hours. I think they're great mentors to have and even for future purposes in terms of references or, you know, when you're applying for your master's, you will need you need those those resources. Um, but also, I think an important thing is figuring out how how can you give give value to them so maybe you have a suggestion about how how they can change the course or you know i think they va- i think professors really value that and they see that you're you know actually actually attentive or trying to give them some value because i think every relationship has some give and take um so that's something that i i live by or one of the things that i think are important yeah i love that so much because just being in Waterloo and you know surrounding myself a lot of my friends are also in the AFM program the accounting finance management program and Mm -hmm. so you know we go to a lot of things like networking sessions and and whatnot and a lot of it's initially the way I approached it was oh what can I squeeze out of this person what can I squeeze out of this person but Mm -hmm. I really really like what you said and I think that's a huge revelation that I had and I feel like people can get a head start on that in terms of relationship building is bring something of value to the table even regardless of 
how you think your experiences might stack up. You never know what you might say or what experiences you might have that could help someone. So I love that a lot. I love that a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, give and take. That's what it is. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. We got totally off track there, but back to the fun facts slide. <laughs> so what are some topics which you could talk about for hours? God. Um, I mean, on my, on the, on the fun side, I love to travel and I'm a huge foodie. I love mm. coffee. Um, my, okay. one of my favorite pastimes is just going to coffee shops, wherever they are and just trying those out because I'm a huge coffee drinker. Um, and then this, this is one of the topics like impact and sort right. of sharing some of my goals with people. That's something I love to talk about it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's funny because it depends who you're talking to, but you can strike up a conversation with different people about different things I find um yeah there's no one thing I can talk about for hours but if I get very into a conversation then sure why not <laughs> right 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 for sure yeah I can definitely tell just from meeting you that last weekend when we were in Montreal is you're a very social individual like you can connect with a lot of people on a lot of different levels so I think that's very very cool Thanks. um yeah uh so okay the next one is what excites you about frv and why'd you apply i think you kind of already talked about that a little bit mm -hmm. when you went over the intro so we'll skip through that one so what's your dream location god this is another tough question i don't know why these questions are so tough to, to yeah. answer honestly i think we're still i feel like we're still so young to know maybe but i think that changes i think the answers to these questions change so 100%. right now i would say dream location surprisingly in canada so montreal i i don't know really? i love montreal I would move there in a second. Like you tell me to pack my bags and go there, I'll go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, yeah. But in terms of, I mean, dream location to work and live, I'd say Montreal. But if I wanted to travel, there are a million places in mind. But to live and to work, I think I'd love to try at Montreal. Yeah. So you're actually wrapping up your undergrad after this term, right? So in December, you'll be, me. you'll be finishing in December. <laughs> Yep, December. Okay, so then what's kind of the, what's the plan after that? Like, is there, because I don't know, we were just talking about location. So maybe there's there a place in yeah. mind that you want to go to or a company and stuff like that. Like, what, what are your plans after you graduate? It's funny. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. So I get that. I get asked that all the time. Yeah. And right now I feel, so at this stage or like the way we've, the way people are in our program is, or the way co-op works is that you immediately have a job after you're done, right? Because, I mean, you've gone through 16 months of co-op. But one thing I learned is that it's okay to not know or like or like it's great to be open-minded because there there's so much opportunity out there. So over the, like, since I did my co-op at, at a VC fund, I know that I want to, I think venture is a great avenue to eventually get into impact. So I'm, I want to work at a, hopefully work at a venture capital fund, but I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't exactly know what I'm going to be doing. So I don't have a full-time job in place yet. And, and yet right. is the key word because I know there are so many opportunities out there. I've been spending a lot of time building, building my relationships, reaching out to people. And I, I'm happy that everyone is so supportive. So I guess this leads me to say that it's okay to not know what you're doing. And I think there's a lot of, sometimes there's a lot of pressure from everywhere and the, the people who you go to school with and just comparison is the thief of joy because you're looking at everyone and everyone has a, you know, full-time job lined up and they're asking, oh, what are you going to do? But you, sometimes you're like, I don't know, but I've learned to embrace saying I don't know because it's kind of exciting to not know because there are so many possibilities. I could move where I'm open to moving wherever in the world that I want to. And it's kind of, 
like we're so young there's nothing holding us back there are no we don't have as many obligations as we will later on in life and that's something i think people might want to think about more because i feel like everyone at our age is so focused on stability and finding something they're like oh we want a stable job and blah but when you think about it it's i mean we're so young like we're never going to get the chance to sort of switch around jobs every four months and that's what i did for my co-ops and i could not be happier that i did that because it's allowed me to figure out what i actually want to do and later in life you know people want to switch careers but it becomes tougher actually so I mean, sorry, I went on this whole ch- tangent, but no. yeah, in short, the short form is that I have no idea what I'm going to do, but I know that it'll be exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with everything you said. And I, I love that so much because I feel like sometimes when your life is planned so meticulously, there's no space for the mm-hmm. unexpected to happen. And the yeah. unexpected is the unexpected. You never know what might happen. It could be good, could be bad, exactly. of course, but I think it's it, it keeps life Learn. interesting, right? If it if you have different things that pop up and yeah. this might be like kind of a dark view on things, but you know, I just finished my second year, I'm entering third year. So graduation is near and that's a scary thought to think <laughs> about because you know, when you go through undergrad, I, I feel like especially in Waterloo, when your life is pretty much segmented into these four month terms where you're going from school to co op, you know, school back to co op, mm-hmm. stuff like that, you've always got, you know, what's next what's next what's next but then you graduate and all of a sudden it's it's all gone now it's you know I I don't want to graduate and then go into a full-time job and then you know live for those two-week vacations per year and then work until I'm 65 and then retire and then eventually like die like I I don't want to I don't know you know that's a pretty dark view on things no I I agree yeah so I got a few more I think about about that as well yeah yeah you've got time you're saying that I'm you're close to graduation I'm <laughs> yeah. four months away and it, it's okay like yeah I completely get it and that's why I think it's important to figure out what you like to do I mean and in, in all experiences are learning outcomes you learn either way um so I mean you just keep an open mind and and do do what excites you and that's what I'm excited for is being finding something that excites me and that I don't mind working I want to do what I love and I don't mind waking up and I'm excited to go to work you know yeah I I think open-minded being open-minded is very very important so that's great that you brought Mm -hmm. that up so the other question was what are some ways that you can help fellow FRV members but I think we can kind of extend that question to what are some ways which you could help any listeners on the podcast yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure. Just uh, like, what's the demographic of your your listeners listener base? I think I have a lot of high school students, some university yeah. students, and then I know my mom's a big listener. So shout out to my mom. Yeah. <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people around our age. So. Um. Okay. So, I think. Uh, I'm I'm one who's like always offering my help. I am so happy to help anybody and, and also be helped because I think, like, I, like we discussed earlier, give and take. So I'd love, I mean, if anybody wants to reach out to me, um, like to ask about venture or, you know, Waterloo or even travel or Kenya or anything, I'm open to, to sharing those resources. And, 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 you know, one thing that I've focused or committed myself to doing at least this last four months that I'm in school is helping out the kids in the years below me. So anytime someone reaches out to say, oh, can you help me with this? I'm 
totally and 100% there because what are resources if not to be shared? Um, and I've taken the time because I've taken so much time to build the, the, the VC community or because it's small and I have those ins, I'm taking the time to connect people with each other, connect people with opportunities because I think the more you give, the more you get. So that's that's where my mindset is. So yeah, if, if, you, if anybody wants to chat just about anything or if you if you think you can help me uh, I'm open yeah so how do you how did you develop that mindset of a, a giving mentality on looking to help other people yeah I mean um, I feel like you're you you're you'd you'd be kind of similar in that you'd want to help other people and right. give back I mean maybe I mean do you have any idea how you built that? Because I'm just trying to think, and, and I think it's it's probably my experiences bundled together and that I've come, I think I moved here for university four years ago. I had no family here. I mean, one thing you do have to learn is how to be resourceful, um, but also you 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 learn that you don't, you don't have everything with you and that's on my on the personal side but I think the personal translates into your career life so when when things are difficult you have to be resourceful find things on your own and and you you miss that there's somebody there for you all the time and then I think that's translated into career goals so every time I see an opportunity to be there for someone in whatever way it's kind of like okay um let me offer whatever I can if that makes sense yeah that's very powerful though because for me coming out of high school, my mindset was probably totally flipped. I saw the world as a zero sum game, where if you succeeded at something that meant that there was less for me to achieve. I thought like, if you took a piece of the pie, that was less pie for me. But in reality, your success has absolutely nothing to do with my success. And it definitely, it definitely does not hinder what my abilities are to achieve what I want to achieve, right? And you just make the pie bigger. Yeah. And I think I think sports maybe molded my mentality into that because in basketball or in soccer, you, there's a winner and there's a loser. There's no participation award, right? And so you got to be cutthroat. You got to be competitive. But I think there's a really fine balance that needs to be applied to that as those transferable yeah. skills get pulled from different areas of your life, right? Rather from sports to the business world to school and whatnot. But do you ever find it like, draining in terms of helping others like how do you find that balance between helping others and helping yourself hmm. I, good question I haven't thought about that but I think you know what it's funny because I think when you help others you learn more yourself or mm. it's so, sort of it, it translates so you're helping others yeah. means you're also helping yourself if that makes sense because every time you share with somebody something new they you find that you learn a little bit more about yourself or about what what you can do for others so i don't know if that makes sense no, but absolutely. i think the balance yeah i think the balance comes from doing it it's like you do it and you you learn more and so you're also in turn helping yourself because you feel more you feel like you're doing something meaningful you know like every time i share with somebody something whatever it is even if it's personal advice career advice it's like okay you know i'm learning something myself yeah i, I definitely agree with you as well on that one i think there is one quote where it was like teaching is the best way to learn something yeah. even if you're studying like for a course if you were to review your notes and then teach somebody else your content yeah not only are you helping somebody else but you're pretty much poking holes in your own thought process of oh wait I actually don't know this part as well blah 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 and go back so I love that um I definitely agree with you as well yeah and I sound like a grandma right now I sound so wise I sound like <laughs> but I'm not like I, I don't know anything but I think I think someone what it's 
someone say to me like the other day I was talking to someone and they're like you know right out of undergrad you really don't know anything so I mean but it's nice to know that you know you have all these other people that also don't know anything and you're just trying to figure it out yeah I agree I think it was I think it was John Stokes from Real Ventures when he he gave a talk when we were in Montreal yeah. and he said something that really stuck in my head which was always have confidence but surrounded in humility so I I really love that little phrase and I think James who was another one of our FRV team members he said his favorite quote ever was I think it was by Socrates he said like I know like Mm -hmm. the quote was just I know nothing that was the quote by Socrates and I was like wow that is like it's, it's so simple but it's very powerful is I know nothing there's always something else to learn so I love that as well now so your journey through university. So you mentioned you were born and raised in Kenya. So born and raised, do you mean like you graduated high school in Kenya? Yeah. So while I was born there, I was raised there. I just moved. My family is still there. My parents are still there. I moved right. here four and a half years ago. So 20, September 2015 for university. Wow. So what was the what was the thought process like when you were choosing to leave your home and come to Canada for university? Yeah, well, for me, honestly, I have to, I'm the youngest of three siblings, both my sisters went abroad for university. Uh, so it's kind of the and then a lot of people back home generally do come abroad, especially Canada, because Canada is just great quality education for the price. I mean, it's, it's, it's just great. It's a great place to be. So I always knew I was going to come abroad for university, the decision so much I didn't know. Um, and, I, and I always asked myself, would I have made the same decision given where I am now? And then I think so. Like I'm very, like the I think Waterloo is a great place to figure out. Co-op is a mm. great way to figure out what you want to do. Right. Um. I wouldn't have been able to figure that out without doing it. I, so definitely the thought process back then was do something meaningful, but I still didn't know. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, yeah. and I still, I mean, I, at least I know now, but I don't fully know. Yeah. So yeah. It's that's interesting. True. What, what would you say was the hardest part about transitioning over and leaving your home and coming to Waterloo? And how did you get over that hurdle? Yeah, um, the hardest part is definitely just, you know, not like the feeling lonely sometimes because mm-hmm. you don't have your family there. I mean, nobody is going to bend over backwards for you like your parents. That's one thing yes, I've learned. Like, I agree. You just, you know, um, so because there were times you have to make new friends, which I mean, for, for, for me, like I, I'm, I'm pretty sociable, so it, it's okay. But at the same time, it can get difficult, especially during exam time or when you have to move. Okay. First of all, the four month co-ops are great, but moving every four oh months drives goodness. me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it absolutely drives me nuts. And that's when I miss home the most. Cause who's going to lug, like, I can't tell you the number of times I've lugged two suitcases on the TTC or on buses, but you know, I, it is what it is. And I've done what I've done, but I think all of that has taught me even more just to be independent. Like you come here and like, can I do things on my own? Doing things on your own is probably the biggest thing. It's like, I have not been, doing things on my own completely alone so you know you can't go before first year can you go out and eat a meal on your own no and then now it's like you know i love myself i love spending time mm-hmm. with me. like you grow so much you're like okay um gotta get stuff done you know yeah that's true and it, it's funny how like perspective kind of always changes a lot of things because i always thought that i had it tough when i left bc which is still in canada to go to ontario and i was like oh i'm so far away from my family blah blah, blah. but you 
came all the way from Kenya. So that kind of just blows my perspective out of out of proportion. But no, it's still it's, still a move. Yeah, no, any move is move. Yeah, and I think I think you know regardless, like even people that are just coming from you know Toronto to Waterloo, where they're not used to like leaving home for weeks and weeks, yeah. and only only going back like two or three weekends out of a month. I think it's also a very big change. Um, yeah. What what advice do you think you would have for any of the first year university students that just started in September? Yeah, um, I think being open, one thing I found was, I mean, I'm not sure if it's just my program, but I I, I think just being open-minded is very important in first year and not, have, not being fixated on one thing, just because I feel like I, I did a panel the other day and what I wanted to get out of the panel was to see how first year's mindset has changed over the past few years and that because when we got into the program, everyone was so focused on like big four and just accounting. But what people don't realize is that there are so many other career options given our skill set, like business development or strategy or some more, like there are very exciting career options that a lot of people don't know. And I was hoping to see some change, but there wasn't much change. So, I mean, and, and, and my advice across the board is just be open-minded and be, don't be risk averse. You know, I feel like there's a, we're, we're also scared to take risks and it's just been put in our head that it, like we have to f- look for stability, but it's not true. You know, we, you know, my, one of the things I live by is that we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable I love because that, yeah. that's, that's the only way we go. Right. right. Um, that's one of the things I completely live by. So I would just say get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's number one. That's great. Um, I, I want to dive a little bit deeper. You mentioned things like from your program, there's a lot of different routes that people can take, but they may not understand it. So yeah. from my understanding, as an AFM student, traditionally the path is going the CPA route. So getting your CPA mm-hmm. hours, and correct me if I'm wrong, but getting your CPA hours just means that pretty much every co-op term you do has to be like some like accounting related position, right? So like you would stay at EY or you would stay at Deloitte and do like yeah. audit or like assurance or, or like tax services mm-hmm. and whatnot for all of your co-ops. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a typical, like that's what it's been mostly like in the past. I think it's changing, which makes me very happy. Yeah. So, I mean, coming all the way over from Kenya, right? What was it like mm-hmm. in your mind when you were thinking about, like, how did you discover that there was an alternate path aside from the traditional one that majority of people at the time probably went down? Yeah. So when I first came here, I had no idea what the big four was. Everyone got here and everyone's like, oh, big four, big four. And I'm in my head, I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. But at the same time, there was so much hype created around it that I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe I should try it. So for my first, I mean, I liked the, the funny thing is that I really liked the accounting courses and I, and I, but, but you know what you do in classroom and what you do on the job are two completely different worlds. And that's why I'm thankful for co-op because if I didn't go through co-op, I don't think I would have figured that out until I was done, right. gone into like accounting and been like, God, no. Um, not saying that accounting is not, it's just not for me. Yeah. And that's how I figured it out. So I did my first co-op at EY, um, a great culture. But again, like I'm, I'm such a people person that I knew that I wanted something more with more purpose, you know? Um, right. And so I, I I did my like I I've just switched switched up my co-ops a lot and then my last co-op at at Igan Partners which was 
Um, and up until now, up until a semester ago, I was on this both the CFA CPA track. So I was going to do both my both CPA and CFA. I just wrote my level one CFA, um, which was great. But then I just dropped, I recently dropped CPA just because during my co-op at IGAN, I met and because I figured out, hey, you know, I want to go into venture capital. Let me talk to the mentors out there and see what they think. Like, would it be more valuable spending the eight months doing the master's um, working at a startup or getting some operational experience versus staying and doing my CPA? And for me, I took the 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 first the the former, which is I think it'd be more valuable for me to get some more experience. Right. Um. So I just recently dropped the CPA route, and um, I'm happy about. I'm, I mean, I'm happy about that. I think I think most people are doing it, and it's a great it's a great accreditation. Like, I mean, but this one thing I will say is that I've not closed my doors to it. I can always do it later on in life. Right. It's just this was an expedited route, but I think my eight months could be way better spent doing something else so yeah it's just transitioned my my mindset has transitioned through through my co-op terms up until if you had asked me what i wanted to do after my third co-op i would have said i don't know right. and then fourth co-op came around it just takes one experience to change change your mindset about things but one thing i will say is that i think now venture capital is being hyped up so much everyone's like oh cool cool but people don't actually know why they want to do it it's hmm. like why do you want to do it? So every time I meet with somebody who's like, oh, I'm interested in it. But I ask, like, why? Why do you want to do it? Because I think it's just, you know, it's cool. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what it is. Right. Um, so, yeah. Mm. So what what were the two co-ops that you did in between EY and IGAN? Yeah, I did. I did. And Manulife, I was in their investments division. It was a more qualitative research role. And then I did Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, which was private market valuations. And that was really awesome for my technical technical finance skills. But again, I found myself behind a desk. But that's not me. Like, I don't want to be on an Excel spreadsheet my, like, my entire day. I And, and then I, I did my co-op at IGAN and spent most of my day on the phone or meeting entrepreneurs. I, I spent three out of five nights going to events, meeting with people, interacting with people with who are way smarter than me. And, you know, the more you, the more you spend time with these people, the more you're inspired and are motivated to do more. And I, and for me, that feeling that I'm doing that I've always said that I want to have my career goals are to find a balance between reward and challenge Mm -hmm. and that that I think that's a good intersection so venture was that balance between hey I'm being challenged every day I'm learning something new but also I feel like I'm doing something meaningful yeah did would you mind just going in more detail in terms of your experience at IGAN? And I know you just touched on it a little bit, but kind of go in mm-hmm. deeper detail in terms of your, your day-to-day life, in terms of the interactions you have with co-founders or entrepreneurs, or what was kind of a day in the life of yeah. Kalisa when you were on co-op then? Right. So so just, uh, I guess I'll tell you, IGAN is a healthcare venture capital fund in okay. Toronto. They invest in like seed stage, early stage um, healthcare tech and medical devices because the partner had exited his own medical device company. And it's a very, it was a very small team. So I was the only co-op. I had two associates, Billy and Anand, and then there were the partners whom, and, and a couple of other staff who, I mean, I love, one thing's the people, I loved the team. They were like amazing to work with the associates, especially they gave me so much responsibility. I think on my second day, he was like, oh, take this call with this entrepreneur. And I had never done that before. These entrepreneurs have their PhDs. They are 
accredited in their fields. And here you are, you know, a, a university student having the power to say, you know, your idea is valid right. and it's good. And so one thing that I did struggle with is figuring out, is this a is this a valid business model? And the thing is with the healthcare industry, it's very technical. So I, the learning curve was so steep that, you know, by the end of it, I was able to have a proficient conversation about regulatory approval. And I was like, wow, you know, that's interesting. Right. So my day, I would say my days were all different. Like I, one thing that I loved was that no day was the same, which is amazing because I like diversity and I like variety in my work. So maybe one day I'd be researching a company that was like every day was different. I do be talking to entrepreneurs most of my time, doing due diligence on some of the, you know, new, new, new pitches coming in. If, if we were to go ahead in the investment process, you do some more research. Right. Three was um, going to events, going to pitch events, um, networking events, um, Four was uh, helping with current portfolio monitoring. So you visit some of the current portfolio companies. You, you know, figure out, are they meeting their milestones? And then also because the team was so small, there was a lot of, you know, some marketing capabilities, website stuff that I got the chance to touch on. And I like that because I'm a bit of a creative person. So I like doing that stuff. And then lastly was, you know, just, you know, I had, I was, it was great to have time to interact with the, the partners, because they were in the office, like I was sitting next to one of the partners, which is, you know, it's a great experience because you're, you're, you can pick these people's minds and they, they themselves are so experienced. So um, I had a great time. Damn, that sounds very cool. Um, So with, with VC, I know that sometimes there are like different startups that come through the door where you may not necessarily understand the technology that they're working with or what type of impact that they're trying to create in terms of the actual technical background of their product or service. So what do you usually do to wrap your head around what their, you know, business is about? Yeah, all the time. That happened to me all the time. They'd come in and be like, oh my God, I have no idea what you're talking about, but that's okay. I think it happens a lot. Um, One thing I did learn was to do prior research. So when you know a company is coming in or you're having a call, read their pitch deck. Uh, That's really important. And then ask meaningful questions. So I like to, and that's something I really learned from my associates because every time we'd go into a meeting, they'd, they'd ask a question and it would give you so much insight into the company. So I think figuring out, but also it takes time to figure out how to ask the right questions. It's difficult because one, you need to do research, but also I think it comes with experience. The meeting, as you continue to meet meet entrepreneurs, you're you're like, you know, I, I know I know what I'm gonna ask. I know what's meaningful yeah. and what especially in the context of, you know, the fun that you're working at or your mandate. Right. Is there a particular question that you love asking entrepreneurs? Oof. Is there a particular question that I like asking in entrepreneurs? Hmm. Um, no, there's no generic question because everything is specific to to a business, right? right? So you, you sort of go off of what they say. It's kind of like doing this podcast. I say something, you're like, oh, you said that. Can you elaborate? It's kind of like that. They, you say something interesting, they say something interesting. But I think that's, you know, you pay attention and, and you ask. Of course, there are certain questions that you have to ask, but like, What's your business model? How do you make money if they don't answer those already? Which should be answered in the pitch. But aside right. from that, I think you you always pay attention. You listen to what they say and you go off of that. Hmm. 
Very cool. Now, this might be a little bit of a tangent off of the questions mm-hmm. part, but the last episode, Maher and I kind of talked a little bit about interview questions. So oh. you've now, you know, you've gone through all of your co-op terms. So you've probably applied to a lot of jobs on Waterloo Works and oh, gone yeah. through your fair share of interviews. So what advice would you have for any first year students or second year students or just people that are about to enter a job interview in general about how should they approach handling a job interview? Yes. Yeah, this is the actually good because I, I know my answer to this one. And that is that a lot of the times you think you don't have the power to guide the conversation, but you actually do because mm-hmm. it all goes back to people picking on what you say. I mean, within a technical setting, it's completely different because then, you know, you, you have to know your stuff and you, you because technicals are table stakes, you have to know your stuff. But when it's a conversation, just treat it. I feel like it's important to treat it like a conversation. Go into it very, you know, open-minded and, and you guide the conversation. You have the power to guide the conversation, to talk about things that you're passionate about. Lead, ask meaningful questions is really important because I feel that like you can turn an interview around just by asking a question that is profound and that shows you've done your research about the company and that you, you're genuinely interested in the job. So one would be, guide the conversation because you can do that and remember you can and two is ask meaningful questions Mm. so in terms of guiding the conversation is that in terms of like specific topics that you might want to bring up so that the interviewer questions you further in detail or what do you what exactly mean by guiding the conversation yeah so whether whether it's bringing up a certain topic that you want the interviewer to probe you on or just talking about something that's in line with the so one thing that i've learned recently is like because i've been talking to a lot of vcs and that they like when you have like i said we remember we talked about it at the very beginning with value add what can i bring to the table too so you want to maybe prior to that do your research for sure so if for example if the fund that i'm that i'm interviewing at invests in you know fintech Maybe look up prior to that, look up some fintech deals or look up a fintech company that you really like and say, oh, you know, uh, you know, I've been reading about this company. They might fit with your thesis. Then the then the person then you can go down this entire tangent that they weren't even thinking about that. But that shows that you're interested and that you want to, you know, want to pursue it. And so a lot of the times I've found that people unless they have a predetermined set of questions, which sometimes they do, you can easily guide the conversation and bring up topics that you want to talk about because you bring it up and then they can ask a follow-up question i find those are those are the best interviewers those that don't come in with a predetermined set of questions but will probe on 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 the conversation yeah i totally agree and i think that for any first year students that might be I don't know, scared or struggling to handle themselves in a social setting especially with like a professional or whatnot i think because depending on what path your co-op route is, usually you have your first summer off unless you're engineering or something like that. Then you're starting your first summer or in math. Mm-hmm. But what I did my first summer off was I got a job doing door-to-door sales. And so oh. just after doing door-to-door sales for four months in the summer, it wasn't the best. It wasn't super fun, but I'm telling you, four months doing door-to-door sales is going to probably be the most beneficial thing you can do for your career just in terms of establishing a good social connection with other people and with yourself and learning how to navigate you know the game of communication right have you read peter Thiel's zero to one no but i've heard of it 
Is it a really good book? Oh God, you have to read it. There's a portion in it that talks about how important sales is. And so no matter how, like I, I can't imagine how hard that was, but that experience will probably teach, has, has probably taught you a lot about how to communicate, but also how to get a message across. And that's fine. Like, like one thing I find now is that technical skills are so table stakes. It's the soft skills and your ability to articulate certain things that will actually go the mile because I would much rather I mean not me but I think people would much rather hire they would forego a very very smart individual with a lack of you know soft skills for someone who is a bit less smart but very willing to learn because think about it you're at work you're spending most of your day with these people you want it to be someone you can have that you know a more personal relationship with. yeah I totally agree and on the topic of technical skills I'm not saying that not having technical skills i'm not saying that having technical skills is bad but i'm saying that i feel like the world is changing very very fast and yeah. skills that are relevant today maybe five ten years down the line are totally yeah. irrelevant right it's really hard Agreed. to predict what you're going to what specific skills you might need like specific languages of code so i think instead of focusing on what you want to do five years or ten years from now i think it's really important to focus on yourself and if you can really strengthen those transferable skills like you mentioned having a willingness to learn be open-minded then regardless of what technical skill becomes relevant in the future you can apply those mm -hmm. skills to learn anything and everything you want and um yeah so i totally agree with what you said now for so back to again you said that you had a little chance to dabble on creative output marketing the website and whatnot and so i was looking at your instagram and i saw that you had a wordpress link in your bio so i out of curiosity i clicked on it and gave it a read and i thought a lot of the stuff that you said was very very powerful so do you want to share a little bit about your thoughts on kenya right now and how close you are attached with your roots and where your family's from yeah so you know it's funny because i always get the question so initially when somebody meets you and they ask you where are you from right kind of confused you're like okay because i've come to figure out there's a difference between culturally and ethnically yes. because I would say culturally Kenyan because I'm three generations born in Kenya, but ethnically probably Indian, but I, I don't know. I'm, I identify more with culturally because that's where I was born and raised. So I will say I'm Kenyan and people are like, Oh, you don't look Kenyan. Yeah. Anyways, that's a whole different topic. It's because like, you can't tell somebody that, but, um, and so yeah, what are my thoughts? I wrote that I wrote that piece a long time. Actually, I've changed my blog up so much. I I used to have a lot of personal posts. I'm trying to revamp it. I'm trying to work on some more, you know, professional content. So hopefully, I'll be coming out with some stuff soon. Especially because like, I told you I want to do some research into impact. Right. So hopefully, right. I'll be um, getting that out. But in terms of Kenya, like I I don't go back very often. Maybe once a year, maybe less because of co-op. But you know, I I obviously it's my home and and it's like I said, I want to go back and find a way to give. So I think there's a lot of misconception in general in the West about developing countries, about Africa. But I myself cannot speak about the whole of Africa. I'm from one region. I'm from Kenya. There are, God knows, 57 countries in Africa. And so I, I know about Kenya or I, I, I know I know enough. And right now, I think, like I mean, there, there has been a lot of political issues, but but I still think, and, and ever since I've been there, is that there's so much talent, but there are just a lack of resources. And for me, I think it stems from government, but that's a whole new issue. And I think the whole, the whole 
you know, government and corruption. And that is that I think is where all the issues stem from. But I think the, the, the growth there is exponential. Right. Like the, Kenya, that's where fintech or that's where, you know, mobile, mobile banking, which is MPES or mobile money was born in, in Kenya, actually. Um, and, and it's a huge part of our economy and it's kickstarted it so much. So I do think there is so much innovation happening there right now, but there needs to be more resources and the government needs to inject more resources into the entrepreneurial ecosystem there. But I think it's happening and I think it will take some time. Like I think there are now venture capital funds in Nairobi, which okay. I mean, I haven't looked into, but I wouldn't mind going there that's and working cool. for a bit. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, with your question, with your answer to the culturally versus ethnically part, I, I totally relate to that just because I was born and raised in Vancouver. And, mm-hmm. you know, people ask me, oh, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from BC. They're like, no, like, where are you, at? Where are you actually from? I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah. I was born in BC, man. Like, what, what are you saying? <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, there's definitely that culturally versus ethnically because my roots are definitely Taiwanese. Like, t- I'm from Taiwan and that's yeah. where my home is. And that's where a big majority of my family lives. Like, even my dad lives there right now. And so mm-hmm. I totally relate to that as well. Um, but yeah, so... So for Kenya, right, when you think of, I feel like when people think of Africa, you mentioned before, there's a lot of stereotypical preconceptions that people might have of what the land looks like and, and what people are doing and, and third world countries in general. So mm-hmm. what's, what is kind of the landscape or the architectural scenery like in Kenya? Yeah, I mean, in, in Kenya... The, the infrastructure is not like here for right. sure. There is no the public transportation system is not the way it's here. There are buses. I mean, and, and people are always like, is it unsafe? But right. but just like any country, every country has unsafe parts. Perhaps there are a few more in Kenya, but I was born and raised there. I grew up there. Um, it's my home and, and I love it. It's, everybody who visits absolutely loves it. They love their time there. It's such a, people are so great. People are so open to helping you. They will, people will bend over backwards for you there. That's something I absolutely love. In terms of infrastructure though, growing for sure. Like the, there, there's a lot of, um, like I think a lot of, um, outsourcing to the Chinese government and, and to, to build up on our infrastructure and build the highways and transportation system. So that has come pretty far within the past few years. Yeah. Uh, and, and it, it's surprising to show people what the, what the uh, skyline of Nairobi looks like. Cause it's, it's great. It's, right. People would definitely not imagine that or think about that in their heads, but yeah, the infrastructure is growing. It's becoming better. Um, but then again, it goes back to government and you'd hope that they're doing something about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So moving on here, I have a few key questions that I love to ask all my guests yeah. that are just kind of staple questions. And it's very <laughs> interesting because, you know, different people always come up with different responses and they are always, they, they always deliver so much value and sometimes it can get really entertaining. So, um, one question is, what is the best investment you've ever made under $100? So this could be like something you bought or whatever it may be, but an investment that you've made under $100. Wow. Um, hmm. You ask difficult questions, first of all. <laughs> That's a toughie. Um, for me, what what is the best purchases that I have made under $100? Um, for me, I think any travel experiences, so even buying a 
bus ticket to somewhere i think that's a great investment like i i went i think i went to washington dc last year and i took the greyhound it was less than 100 bucks and probably some of the best money you can spend because travel teaches you so much i went across to the us i spent some time with my my mom's sister lives there i spent some time there but i think just in general under 100 bucks would be something that allows me to go to a new place and, and see something new and learn something new. So for me, that's a travel experience. So a bus ticket anywhere would be a great investment that's under $100. Yeah. And what would you say are some of the things that traveling teaches you in terms of growth and development as an individual? Mm-hmm. Culture. And mm. so just like I said, right. you know, you get you, you get weird questions about Kenya. And if you've ever been, then you'd know. And, and it's yes. funny because I do meet people who've been in, and they're like, changes their mindset. It changes their their idea about countries, developing countries, about a culture, about how differently people live. And it gives you an appreciation for what you or how you live as well. Totally. So and you meet new people. And the best way to learn is through people. Yeah. I love that too. I definitely, I, I probably haven't traveled the most, but this past year I've definitely traveled a lot and I've definitely met a lot of new people and embraced myself yeah. in a lot of different cultural norms. So I think I totally agree with your um, thoughts about traveling and how important it is. Yeah, I actually have some like ideas about um, about travel. Like, I mean, I, 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 one of my courses this semester is entrepreneurial strategy and we have to come up with our own ventures. So okay. right now I'm actually brainstorming a, a business idea about about travel and maybe I'll talk to you about it sometime. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, we can we can sit down and talk about that. Actually, another yeah. another cool thing was um, I had this guy on my podcast. His name was Jeffrey, and he was mm-hmm. part of um, St. Paul's Greenhouse. So back in twenty fourteen, oh, wow. I think, and his project that he was working on is called the Canoe Project, where he wants to create like a Pan Canada University program. So it's oh, wow. it's facilitated, it's coordinated. So you can start off doing your first year at, let's say, University of British Columbia in Vancouver. And then your second year, your entire cohort transfers to like McMaster University. Then third year, your entire oh, cohort God. transfers to like Waterloo. So you do your undergrad each, each year or each term in a different university to get that experience across Canada. So I thought that was super cool. Um, that sounds insane like I would love yeah. to do that I think that's that's great yeah, yeah that's what he's working on and I, I absolutely love the idea and I think it's very interesting so who or what comes to your mind when you think of the word success Whew. I'm not going to do the who part because I feel like that's singling people out okay. that I mean the, the people are successful in their own ways and it also comes down to the definition your definition of yes. success or what you think success is yes um and for me, that's just someone who is, you know, finding that balance in life or finding that they're fulfilled in 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 various aspects of their life and finding meaning in what they do. And that's what that's what success and that's what it reminds me of is being finding that balance and being fulfilled. Um, and I think I think that's subjective. It's a really tough question, actually. What comes to your mind when what comes to your mind, Johnny? Why don't you tell me? <laughs> Huh. Um, well, I, I definitely totally agree with what you said in terms of defining success is very important because mm-hmm. I was recently listening to this podcast about Tony Robbins. I think it was a Tony Robbins podcast where he he asked the same question and the guy he answered, he was like, it totally depends on your definition of success. Because if you look at somebody yeah. like, let's say Richard Branson, right? Mm-hmm. And his definition of success was he wants to live a quiet life with his family in the country, in the hillside, 
but he just accidentally kept trading companies and became this, you know, individual in society. Would you think he's very successful? Probably not in terms of his own definition, his own criteria. Yeah. But somebody who or what comes to my mind when I think of the word success, I See, I'm flipping say, it on you. I told you you can guide an interview. <laughs> yeah, you can totally exactly. change this an is, interview. This is a real life example right now. Um, okay, success. I would definitely say my high school basketball coach. So he and I have had always had a really, really close connection. He was pretty much like a older brother slash father figure for me growing up. We met in the eighth grade. And when we met, he was, you know, working security part-time at a mall. And he was also volunteering and working for the city. And that's how we met was he was leading the summer camp. That at that time, I think he was 28. And mm. over the years, just with him coaching me and him building his own basketball career, he's now built up his own basketball club in Vancouver, just recently bought his own house, uh, married with a wife, two beautiful kids. And I've just been able to witness his growth. So we've been kind of growing yeah. together. And I feel like he's just been somebody that has been successful. And when I think of the word successful, he definitely comes to mind. But it's not about the achievements, right? It's not about the house that he bought. It's not about the club that he owns. I think the biggest thing is just happiness because mm-hmm. he's the type of guy where anytime I feel any type of way, down about anything i give him a call boom i'm feeling happy i'm feeling grateful for what i have it's just a vibe that he gives off and he's always happy he never ever seems down and so that's that's who comes to mind when i think of the word success but that's awesome yeah happiness fulfillment those are all i think those are universal meanings of success yeah yeah that's true so did did anybody or something pop into your mind if not it's okay we can move on to another question no, let's. There's a lot of successful people, yeah. but that's that's yeah. Okay, okay. So, what is something that you think is true? However, a lot of people do not agree with you on it. God, you you need to read the Peter Thiel book. That is that's his. You know what he says? He asks people during interviews is that what is one miss? What is one the exact thing you're asking? But he oh, asks really? it or he phrases it a little differently. Yeah, Wait, who he's is like he? one thing I ask. Yeah, Peter Thiel. Just if you oh, quick okay, okay. Show, it's in the first chapter of the book. He's like the first thing I ask people is, "What is one thing you think that you think most people most people believe is not true, but you believe to be true?" Oh, uh, you know what? Maybe it's because I listened to. I think Tony Robbins interviewed Peter Thiel on the podcast, which is uh, why I, probably these, that's probably which it. is why these questions keep popping into my head. But and you know what? I've been thinking about ever since I start. Okay, I'm still three quarters way to the book, but ever since I started it, that that has been going through my mind because I still haven't figured out what my best answer would be. And I hope it's okay that I'm going to say, I don't know yet, yeah. but I'm figuring it out. And when I do all that, you know, but his answer was good. His was that most people, but he, bearing in mind, he wrote the book quite a while ago. His right. answer was most people believe that globalization will be, you know, will, will affect the world most, but what but technology will like it was something along the lines of that and i guess at the time he wrote it that was more profound because now i think most people are on the same page as him but that was his and ever since he like that question was posed i've been thinking about it but i haven't yet found my answer so maybe i'll get back to you on that yeah because i think if you can have an answer to that you probably have the foundation of a very very solid profitable business in the future Because if you look at like the successful companies, it's all about defying the odds, but defying the status quo and being right is a lot harder than defying the status quo and being wrong. 
So I think mm-hmm. if you can have an answer to that question, you're probably on your way towards building something massive. So definitely takes yeah. a lot of time to find the answer to that because I don't even know what I think is true that a lot of people disagree. Yeah, I was just, gonna, yeah. just about to no, say, I, Johnny, I, I, you tell me. <laughs> I just need to say that before you reverse the question on me because I don't even know <laughs> what I think is true. But okay, so uh, if you had $200 million burning in your pocket with only 12 months left to live, what would be the first three to five things you would want to do and why? Two hundred million dollars. That yeah. that's a lot of money, huh? Um, in what stage am I like? Just as I am now. As you I'm, are now, after twelve yeah. months, you'll just perish. There's no deterioration or anything like that. Okay, then definitely one of the things I do is travel. I mean, just right. drop everything and go see the places that I've always wanted to see, and and go with people that I want to spend time with, for sure. Pay for everybody to go with me. Right. <laughs> And then what what other things would I do? I mean, I think, and, and if everybody else was still going to be around and I wasn't, I'd probably invest in a few impact companies. I'd look for some things that I think are going to build a legacy when I'm not there. Yeah. Um, probably put put my money to good use and to some, something meaningful since I won't be around to see that. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's a kind of funny question at this stage in my life. What would I do with two hundred million dollars? That's a crazy question. I, and then I'm and the, the different things that I'm gonna die in twelve months. So yeah. What 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 are some of the things you'd do? Um, I would build recreation centers in Taiwan just because of I mm. feel like sports is a valuable thing for all youth to enjoy. And just yeah. in Taiwan, based off my experience, I don't see that there's a lot of them <laughs> there. Like in Canada, right? If we want to go yeah. play basketball or go swimming or whatever go to the gym we just go to the rec center pay like a drop-in fee and go play with our friends but in taiwan they don't really yeah. have that it's just a lot of outdoor courts it's very hot but i feel like this 200 million dollar question is tied to your definition of impact because once you can define yeah. impact and define what you mean by delivering value then i know that you're probably going to put this 200 million or a lump sum of that towards that definition of impact i feel yeah you've kind of inspired an idea like i definitely want to do something back home but right you know it's finding the right hands to put that money in it's like where am i gonna put it towards you know like a, a social enterprise that's doing something in kenya um or and for that matter of fact anywhere in the world that needs it um yeah or something that's working towards something better and that the, what what that is is hard to figure out really yeah that's true is there is there like a specific cause you would say in, in terms of how you would help people back in Kenya? Maybe it's yeah. education or infrastructure. Or I think education. Education. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say edu- education is so, so important and there is a lack of access to good education and it's at the core of the poverty cycle. So once you break that cycle with education, people can, you know, further can travel, can leave there or like get out of there. Cause usually you're just born into, you're born into poverty. You know, you, there's, it's that cycle and you you have to live with it. But once you're educated and once people break out of that, then, then it's, you know, it puts an end to that, that, that vicious cycle. So I, I would definitely put resources towards education. Cause I think for me, that is extremely important. And for that community in specific, but I think there are a lot of other factors that play into it, health and, and you know, government and infrastructure, but education is one of them. Yeah, yeah. And final two questions here. So before you briefly touched on the word legacy, so what is the legacy that you would want to leave behind on this earth? Or once you're gone, how would you want people to define Kalisa or is... Or to remember me as. Yeah, Kalisa is this type of person. Wow. 
<laughs> you know, you know, I think a lot of the times people think confuse impact with quantity, but I also think it's quality. And I think it's as long as I've made an impact or made a difference in made a profound difference in a few people's lives that's what matters more to me than making of course i'd love to make a profound impact on everybody and right. maybe that is the goal and that's something that i want to do or do and that's what impact investing is finding a way to give back to on a larger scale but i'd be happy to know that i made whatever impact whether it's personal or you know whether it's financial whatever it is i would like to know that i've made a profound impact on a few people's lives. Yeah. And, and, and I can't explain exactly what that impact would be right now, but right. you know, that's all you'd ask for is whether you're, you know, making somebody happier, whether you've done something for someone that has changed their perspective on something. Yes. That's important. Right. Yeah. I totally agree. And I love that so much. So before I get to my last question, do you want mm-hmm. to share with the audience a little bit about where they could find out more information about you or how they could contact you, like your Instagram, Facebook, and whatnot? Yeah, anything. Um, so my name is so difficult to spell. Nobody ever remembers, but maybe you can, I don't know, when when you share the pot, like it's just Kalisa Khan. You can, or maybe they can message you for my contact if anybody wants to, but you can contact me through anything. Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. Well, I, I'll, I'll, rep, I'll respond. Okay. Yeah. I will make sure to put hyperlinks to each of Kalisa's social media accounts in the description below. So feel free to reach out. Now, final question. You ready? Oh. Okay. Here yeah, we go. Ready. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. Okay. So if you could write anything on an online post where you could be sure that everybody in the world would be able to see it, what would you want to write and why? God, Johnny, where do you get these questions? Well, actually, I want to know where you get these questions. <laughs> this is actually one of the questions that um, Mark Metry, who's a host of Humans 2.0 podcast, he loves asking this question as well. And so I just think it's very interesting because I've seen such a wide variety of answers that it absolutely bombazzles me every time I hear somebody's answers. Like I asked this question to this one lady mm-hmm. one time and she was like, uh, I don't think I would post anything on social media just because like in the future, you never know it might be used against you for some conspiracy or scrutiny. And I was like, okay, if that's your take on it, that's totally fine. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. no, that's a good answer. Um, uh, do you, do you know the answer to this? What you'd say? Uh, ever so often, guests always flip this question back onto me and my answer <laughs> changes probably episode by episode, but yeah, currently right now, mine would just be, be authentic. Yes. Um, just two words, just be authentic because I feel like with Instagram, with social media, with people posting all the highlights of their life, it's really easy to get caught up in what other people are doing. And you mentioned it earlier, comparison is a thief of joy. Yeah. And so I think it's really important. It's massively important to just stay authentic, understand who you are, have the self-awareness to know who you are, what you like, what you don't like. And I think if you start from there, you'll be able to achieve a lot of things in life. So that's what yeah, I, I, I love that. I love that. And I like the whole you do you thing. You know, that's if I ran it was just like you do you and focus on yourself. And yeah. just, you know, focus on your own sort of happiness. But I mean, in a nutshell, like it, it's everybody could see it. What would you write and why? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Sorry. I'm so, I'm literally so <laughs> in the, like, I'm just trying to think what would I want to hear from my my own mom and what would I if I I knew someone every single person was going to see this I'd say you know 
Yeah, it's. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know if I have the correct answer right now, but yeah, I think. I think yeah. I think another thing though, I said it earlier is that get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. Because that's it. That's right. that's, Boom. that's perfect. That's how you'll grow. Wow, I like that too. That's great. And there's no there's no right or wrong answer. And I feel like if and I ask changes. you, yeah, if I ask you a month from now, it'll probably be different based yeah. off of your mindset and what you're thinking. But I love that. That is very important as well. So mm-hmm. thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Kalisa. No, I had so much fun. It was my first, I mean, I've never, I've never done a podcast before. Yeah. So it was my first one and I'm like, wow. And I am so glad, like, I've had a blast doing it. Yeah. yeah. Such meaningful questions and such tough ones too. So <laughs> thanks. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. Yeah. If you've made it all the way here, thank you very much for listening. You can learn more about Kalisa and connect with her by visiting the links in the description below. Now, I want you to screenshot a picture of the podcast, share it on Instagram or any other social media platform, and tag three friends that you think would find this podcast interesting. Oh, and tag me as well. I'd love to hear any thoughts you had on the conversation. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, leave a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening through. I would greatly appreciate that. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Johnny underscore Sue. That's J-O-N-N-Y underscore H-S-U. And to follow the Broaden Your Perspective podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, Instagram, and Facebook.